Hello, and welcome to Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee Podcast. Believe it or not, it has been four months since we've had some of the most unprecedented and tumultuous months of our community and this nation has ever witnessed. As nearly every industry and field has had to quickly adjust to substantial changes and often overlook the area of life that is central to our overall well-being, and that is of mental health. To help us explore this plethora of cognitive stimuli, we are delighted to be joined by a special guest, Dr. Kwaku Ramel-Smith, a licensed psychologist and president of the Blacksmith Psychological Consultant Services, a sought-after authority on mental health, trauma, and peak performance in the greater Milwaukee community, and beyond, Dr. Smith has also previously served as the team psychologist of the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks. Yay, Bucks! And has also served as keynote speaker at the Leader Sports Performance Summit in New York City. Welcome to the show, Dr. Smith. We're delighted to have you join us. So tell me a little bit about yourself and, and how you've chosen psychology as a career. I'm interested in knowing I'm a psych major as well, and my listeners would like to know. You know, so um, just first of all, you know, just a young man from uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, grew up on 7th and Melvina, um, and what we now call the infamous 53206, but it was a loving 53206 when I was there. Um, moved from there all the way up and down Capitol from 27th and Capitol to 37th and Capitol to 44th and Capitol. So that was the 62 was my line. So you say, well, wow. what was it like growing up in Milwaukee? You know, I got a chance to see Milwaukee, unfortunately, go from the best to the worst. And in the, mm-hmm. the, the 1970s and 80s, I remember uh, vividly going to A.O. Smith with my mom, picking my dad up, him coming out of work, seeing these throngs of men coming out, you know, to their cars, to their families, and, and just understanding what that meant uh, to an emerging middle class and for the next generation. So, yeah, you know, um, growing up, um, you know, you started to see, obviously, the deindustrialization of America uh, combined and coupled with, unfortunately, uh, staggering um, attempts uh, with, with progressive uh, gangs coming up. Uh, you see the drug culture start to come up. And then at that same time, obviously, uh, it leads into the prison industrial complex and where we see it today, where we are uh, one of the worst places to live, according to uh, multiple studies, um, according to the social determinants that determine life. And, you know, when you grow up in that, uh, it was something that my maternal grandmother always used to tell me. She said, the best way to heal yourself is to help others. And so coming out of her house on 7th and Melbourne, we always had a ton of people coming in to get help coming in to get the hair done, coming in to borrow different things. And, and you know, we weren't financially prosperous, but uh, I would ask my grandmother, and she said, you know what, we never seem to run out, though. And so that was something that stuck into right. my head. And because growing up in that environment, seeing that change, there was a lot of things uh, that I experienced. You know, we use a buzzword, there's trauma now. We didn't talk about that too much right. then. <laughs> but when you go through some of those difficulties and you figure out how you were uh, blessed to be able to get second and third chances, how there were people around to be able uh, to kind of stand in the gap, become pillars in your life. Uh, you just feel an obligation to want to be able to give that back. So I don't think it's an accident that I'm a helper. I knew mm-hmm. I would be a helper in some way, whether a firefighter or a lawyer or whatnot. Um, I'll be honest with you, when I went into college, um, I just wanted to enjoy myself and psychology was the <laughs> easiest major. And so I did that so I could get an education yet. Uh, still have uh, maximized my fun. But to my surprise, and this is where I tell people not to take this just as it is, 
you can't do anything with just an undergraduate degree in psychology. So no. I had to go back to school <laughs> to be able to really work in this field exactly the way I wanted to. So that was a, a surprise on me and the joke was on me uh, for trying to get over too quickly. But, you know, as far as, like I said before, being able to see, you know, how beautiful our city was to be able to see some of the deterioration, but still right now really be able to see some of the reviving and the hope. I wanted to be able to be a part of that turnaround. And that's what being in this field allows you to do. It allows you to help in multiple ways. And I totally uh, concur with, with all that you've said, especially, um, you know, I mentioned I was a psych major and, you know, graduated and thought I was going to with my bachelor's degree and thought <laughs> I was going to go and, and be able to help people and, and couldn't yeah. even find a job because I didn't have the experience to go with the knowledge that I had gained. So, you know, looking to continue to pursue that. And just thinking about um, mental health and its impact in the workplace, oftentimes people don't associate the two. They think because people are functional at work and they're able to have a job and go to a job that everything is fine. And, and so, but, you know, now you have, you know, and mental health issues were on the horizon long before the pandemic actually occurred in, in the connection between mental health and the workplace. Can you just, um, Talk a little bit about what the impact is on, on mental health and, and the success of a person in a workplace and what can a worker do to develop uh, and maintain positive mental health in the workplace? Well, I'm glad you said what you said at the end, because most of the time when we look at mental um, health, we really just look at mental illness. And that's why nobody ever wants to discuss it. And so, you know, nobody, the, the famous line is, I'm not crazy. There's nothing wrong with me. You know, I, I can do this. I'm handling this. But when we talk about mental health in its full spectrum, it's a continuum that goes from mental wellness to mental illness. Mm -hmm. And if we can do more things proactively on that, pro, uh, on that mental wellness spectrum, then that eliminates or reduces some of the issues that goes with mental illness. And so when you said, well, what can a person do? And I think the first thing is just for us to recognize, if you live in a society such as America that's full of uh, misogynistic languages, of racial discrimination, of uh, any time too many groups can be so clearly marginalized and otherized and put to the side, that's going to create levels of stress, which is in its essence what we talk about with mental illness. And you say, well, how can I deal with this? And, and this is the thing because people are so beautifully resilient. We can deal with so many things. Mm -hmm. But I tell people, no matter how strong you are, there's always a limit where there becomes a breakdown. And what we want to do is we want to be able to get help. We want to be able to get services well before you need to. Oftentimes, again, like I said, when we talk about mental health, we talk about mental illness. But what if we had, we could be proactive and we had a psychologist from the time that we were born, just like we have a pediatrician. And you say, well, why would a person need a, a psychologist at that age? Well, when I worked at Children's Hospital, I had clients as young as three. And people would say, well, what could a three-year-old be going on? And I said, if you look in the records of Child Protective Services, you'll see that's a whole right. lot that's going on and they need a light. And I say that to say this as it goes to work. There's so many traumas that has happened to so many people when they were younger that they were able to deal with, but they did it by masking it because work and school was a way to get away from it. They can yep. compartmentalize that pain and try to get some uh, great functions out of life with the things that they could control. 
But untreated hurt, untreated pain from the past has a way of manifesting. And then when we start to talk about in jobs, when the other stress comes up, guess what this does? This reopens those old wounds and triggers, sometimes unbeknownst to us because it's in the subconscious area. So when we start talking about why is great mental um, health counseling, some type of initiative necessary in the workplace? Well, what it does is it allows your worker to be in a more stable position. And a stable worker is a happy worker. A happy worker is a productive worker. So it's a win-win for everyone involved because the company uh, can satisfy its bottom, line, its bottom line and make profits. But more importantly, the people who they serve, they work with, the, the true internal stakeholders, the employees, can have what? A high-level quality of life. So many times people have been forced to wear masks. Mm-hmm. We smile when we don't want to smile. We scratch mm-hmm. where it's not really itching. You know, we've just been taught to be great phonies, and, and nobody wants to look at it that way. But think about how many times people come in the morning and say, hello, how are you doing? I'm fine. They're deep down. They're really not. But that's just our visceral response to say that. And that's just like a small, you know, microcosm of how we hide our pain. And so if we can't talk about some of those surface level hurts, how much more deep are those other ones that really go down into the depths of our soul? And so you said, why is it important for, for companies to do it? One, just from an ethical standpoint, to be able to make sure the people you're working with, you care for. But two, even if you didn't care about the people, but you cared about your company, like I said, that makes for a better worker. So it's incumbent upon all companies to be able to make sure whether it's through their EAP employee assistant programs or that the insurance covers um, and allows them to be able to work or that they are working with the individuals who may be going through trouble so that when they have a time and about that there's a, a safe way for them to be able to exit and then to reenter into the workplace. Absolutely. And I like that term you use. Great. We've been taught to be great phonies. Um, you know, that's an interesting way to look at it. But but that's the truth. I mean, you people we all often wear masks to some degree. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. Literally um, and metaphorically now. Yes, like that poem, we wear the mask. Um, you know, as I mentioned in the opening of this podcast episode, these past four months have brought about a multitude of changes and disruptions to the way of life for many people um, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly in the workforce. For individuals who may have experienced the loss of a loved one or loss of employment, how, um, Dr. Smith, can, can they mitigate the bouts of depression, anxiety, distress, and low self-esteem? You know, when I talk to the team, I hear people wanting to, you know, they're those people who have to be social. They need to be out and about and they need to be around people. And at the same time, they're experiencing depression because they can't do that. And then there's those people who have experienced loss of a loved one um, and, and just really haven't had the opportunity you know, for lack of better words, to grieve because you can't have funerals the way we're accustomed to having funerals and things of that nature. So how would you suggest someone cope with those types of challenges? Yeah, you know, I mean, that's a tough one because, you know, um, when you start talking about how do I grieve, that's a very personal kind of statement because there's no true grieving process timetable. Everybody Mm -hmm. does this in different manners and everybody has different ways on how they cope with this, some more healthier than others. But when you say, well, what are some of the things we could do to kind of mitigate that loss? What are some of the things we do? Well, I think that the one thing sometimes we deceive ourselves, even in the reality of life, is we put these false timetables on people's lives. And when I say by that, we believe that no parent should ever have to bury a child when that's just not the case. You know, obviously, if you look at lifespans, that's, you know, the average you could bet on it. 
But there's no guarantee that when your child comes, you won't have to bury your child. And I think when we have these false notions that make those pains even hurt even more. And then sometimes we believe these things that, no, you know what, I don't think the mama can die. And then when she does, it hurts even so much more. And so what I think what we have to do is just come to the realization, and this is a hard thing to do, but when we talk about pure psychology, what we're talking about is how do we deal with reality? And the truth of the matter is that everyone dies and anybody can die at any time. So the thing is, the saying is like, don't talk about dying, but talk about how do we live? How are we maximizing the moments? Oftentimes when people have great, great sorrow around death and grief, sometimes it's because there's been unresolved issues, certain things that weren't maximized, uh, promises that weren't kept, things of that nature. And what we want to have people to do is to say, live every day as though it could be your last. Now, we want to prepare for the future. We want to prepare for tomorrow. But we got to recognize the harsh realities of life. But this is the thing. And this is one of this, even though it's fictional, it was still so powerful. In the movie Black Panther that just revolutionized, I think, a lot of people's thinking as far as hope and things of that nature, when his father died, he said, what good is a father who's never prepared his son for his death? And one of the things what we wanted to talk about is this, is say, how do we deal with the different hurts and everything that can come? So for every parent, it's incumbent upon us to talk to our children about the realities of death. That's a conversation we don't want to have. And that's why we have GoFundMe projects all the time, because mm-hmm. on top of the grief, we have these monetary issues right? because nobody wanted to go to the funeral home. Nobody wanted to go to the cemetery and to pre-plan. So what I'm saying is how do we deal with it? We have to be proactive in talking about it from the get-go. What happens after I die? Do I have a will? So when these things happen, a lot of other issues don't have to happen. You see families sometimes tear apart because they're fighting over money. They're fighting over territory. They're fighting over things that were left behind. Well, these things that they were talking about beforehand could have stopped some of these processes. Now, let's say you say, hey, well, Doc, I done did all these things, and we knew and it could come, and, and it come, but it just hurts. And then I tell you, hey, man, I know, because our family has had three significant losses since COVID. And so I understand that pain. Two of them came right before the shutdown. One came after. So I understand having a funeral where you could grieve with everybody and one where people are scared to touch and you have masks and it feels weird because you can't do a regular repass and all of those things. And so you say, well, what can I do with that? Well, the first thing what you have to do is recognize that it hurts and it's painful. Sometimes we try to act so strong and we try to get back to normal so quick. So I tell people, Take the allotted amount of time that you really need to grieve and to heal. And what are those things? Again, it's very unique to your person, to your personality. So if you need to talk with somebody, even if you can't be with them, there's many ways we have, whether it be through a telephone, whether it be through a computer, uh, whether it be through old-fashioned letters or email or anything like that. Stay in contact with people in other ways. Mm -hmm. Find ways to be creative. Even through the art of social distancing, there's some things in which you can do to be able to have those times. And this is the other thing in which they talk about. If everybody was really following the procedures in which they said as far as being careful, there are some times for interactions where they say, hey, if this this house has been 100% safe. This per house has been 100% safe. There's negative testing where you can come together, but it has to be a, a obviously an agreement with the among the people as far as what's being done. But to be able to have those few moments where you say, I just got to come over. And when, uh, you know, we think about death, but it's not just death. It's also the happy times. Right. And you think about this, you know, think about how many weddings there have been, how many births there have been, how many birthdays there have been that where people haven't been able to celebrate uh, in, in totality. And the reason why I mention that on the, on the heels of death, because, see, death is something that dies. That, that, and a death is like something that we don't want, something that kills a situation that puts it to end. So if I want to go to a birthday party and I can't go, that's a small death in a way. It's like I, it pains me not to be 
able to be there. It pains me and it hurts me. Now, it's not the same type of death, but what it is is you get the cumulative, and you said it in the opening question. It's been four months. So, yeah, we, and if you had issues prior going into this, now we're dealing with this for four months. So you said, well, what can we do? Well, these are the things what we have to try to do as it relates to self-esteem and self-care. As difficult as it is, we want to try to make sure we're maintaining the diet. Uh, I talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people have been putting on a lot of weight over mm -hmm. uh, this pandemic. I'm one of those people. <laughs> a lot more, you know, and it's because you're at home, you're snacking, you don't have your regular schedule, and it's just, you know, it can become comfortable too. So, you know, it's one of those things. And with that, um, as it relates to that sedentary lifestyle comes what? A lack of exercise because people aren't exercising. They can't go to the gym. They can't do the things as comfortable, especially if they're outside and they have to wear a mask. It restricts some of the things they're doing or causes them stress to where they may or may not be. So what we want to do is we want to make sure we secure a diet. We want to make sure we secure some type of physical fitness regime. And as hard as it is right now, specifically with this new normal, it's thrown off a lot of people's circadian rhythms. And so a lot of people aren't getting a proper amount of sleep. And when you don't get the proper amount of sleep added on to the additional, um, you know, eating and lack of exercise, you start to create a lethargic personality where your brain does not function as sharp as you once were. You're stuck behind. And when these things happen, that's when mistakes happen. That's when depression and anxiety can creep up on us a little more. This is where anger and frustration can come out. So when we look outside of the streets and we see why, you know, we have a murder rate that's increased exponentially more than we ever would have thought after going mm -hmm. down the last few years, we can understand that it's a perfect storm for chaos and dysfunction if we don't do the proper things we're supposed to do. But part right. of that comes from when you say death, death is some people have lost their jobs or it's the death of a yes. career or yes. death to their financial situation because they're not making the same amount of money as they're, that they were making. And those things all combined together can do a lot of situations. But this is what I tell people. I live by um, a, a simple rule. And it's, and it's a, a Latin term and it's called amor fate. And it means I'm a lover of fate. I don't know what happens to me. I don't know why it happens to me. But I'm a love it. That don't mean I, I, I like it, but I'm going to love right. it because I know it's working out. And if I can just get like biblical for a second, it's a, it's a man by the name of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers. Then he was put into prison. And after that, uh, he became second over Egypt. So whether people believe it as an actual story or some type of uh, fictional thing out of a book, the story in itself is one thing that motivates me because it was a series at the end where everything worked out and his brothers who initially that sold him into slavery and started the whole uh, negative downward, they said, I'm sorry. And he said, no, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And this is what I said, whether it's a person from a secular standpoint or a spiritual standpoint, what I look in life is I said, whatever happens, whether I like it or not, is teaching me a lesson. And what am I supposed to learn? What am I supposed to go from? When we look at life, this is not a, a, a nice world all the time. There's a lot of hard things that's happened. We look in our news just recently. We saw something that almost seems unthinkable with the two-year-old passing. But we know that that's not uncommon because just a year ago, we were grieving a three-year-old who was shot in a vehicle. Yes. So when we look at all of these things, we recognize the harshness and the reality of life. And because we never know what's going to happen from day to day, we have to seize the moment, make the best of it. And when you do that, that starts to make when the difficult times come, say, you know what, I'm going to get through this some, somehow, some way. And that's the essence of psychology is how do I will myself that despite the circumstances to understand 
that bad times don't last all way. This storm too, it shall pass, and I'm going to weather it because I'm built to last. What happens oftentimes is that our mind will play games on us and it will let those negative doubts creep. And then that negative snowball affects that we can't do things and it becomes into a self-fulfilling prophecy. So what we're here to do is to be able to let individuals know, hey, you know what? If we put our world together, we put our collective brilliance together, we put our resources that we have near and far, that some way out of no way, something possible is going to happen. And I've seen it so many times in my life. I've seen it in people's lives who I didn't know and who I did know. And then when those situations comes where you say, well, how can I love this when this happened? How that doesn't even make sense. But this is what I tell you. Life doesn't make sense all in itself at one time. But then later it starts to come through and all we can do is the best that we can do. And once you've done that, what more can you do? So when I start to tell people as far as how do we keep a face in the midst of adversity? How do we keep our heads up in the, in the midst of despair? It comes with the simple thought, I can do this. And then I go back to Mama Daisy. The best way to heal yourself is to help others. Because even though I'm in distress, there's always somebody who's in a different state than me. And when I do something there, it's a reciprocal state from the universe. You put out good seeds. It's karmic in its nature. Different things come back to you in ways you can't imagine. But literally, literally, immediately when you help somebody, you help yourself from a, a physiological standpoint, because your body, when you do something good, it increases its serotonin, it increases its dopamine. So those yep. feel-good neurochemicals that produce in your body is producing, and that things that made you once want to cry gives you enough strength to be able to smile just a little bit for that moment. And that's what we talk about with faith. It's about what, what did Martin Luther King say? You don't have to see the, hair, the whole staircase to take the first step. And what we do is keep stepping one day at a time and what, recognizing that we don't know what's around the corner, but eventually... What's supposed mm-hmm. to happen is supposed to happen for us. Well, preach, Dr. Smith. I, I Look, I didn't see pastor in your credentials that was given to me, but, <laughs> you know, Lord, everything, <laughs> everything that you said is, is, is so true. I mean, sometimes, um, you know, when, when you can't see, you have to have some other knowing or trust within you to know that by faith, things will work themselves out. That's my motto is, is things will work themselves out if, if you believe um, that they will. And so I appreciate your last set of comments because they're so needed in this day and time because everything is so unpredictable. And you know, you know, people like to, you know, I'm a planner. I love to plan things out and predict what's going to happen. And, and, you know, what we're seeing now and experiencing in life is, you know, you can't do that. You, you, you know, you, you kind of got to go with the flow on some of these things because nobody really has the magic answer. And, you know, just really allowing yourself to go with the flow. I've I've never been a go with the flow person, but I've had to learn to kind of go with the flow on some of these issues because Shy can't control them. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Workforce Insights with Employee Milwaukee. Make sure to tune in to episode six as the conversation continues between Shaitania Brown and Dr. Ramel Smith. Thanks for listening to Workforce Insights, where workforce development is our business. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employ Milwaukee, visit www.employmilwaukee.org. That's www.employmilwaukee.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time with a new episode.